What's up, electric people? It's Ty Williams. We have Steve Sims on the show today. Steve Sims is an absolute riot. Uh, he is an experience in and of himself. Um, I guess you could call him an entrepreneur, but that doesn't even come close to telling the full story. So he spent um, a large part of his life owning, creating, and running this um, life experience company for the ultra wealthy. People would come to Steve to get experiences that you simply cannot buy, whether that's joining your favorite band uh, for a period of time, whether that's, uh, you know, being able to experience uh, like a driver's experience for Formula One in Monaco, whether that's becoming James Bond and being chased all around Europe to uh, meeting and collaborating with with heroes. That's what Steve Sims did. People would bring him crazy ideas and he would make them happen. Uh, he ended up uh, growing and selling that business. Now he uh, runs an executive and leadership and developmental coaching business. And he, he brings to it really practical ideas on how to make things happen and essentially how to develop and live a really rich life. Started out in East London as a bricklayer to becoming a club bouncer, then a club promoter, then the guy that makes dreams come true and people become things. So, and I'm not over exaggerating there. He's written two books. One of them is Blue Fishing. We talk about that a lot in the book. Blue Fishing is a super good, super practical book. You should read it and go for stupid, his second book, which is also just great. So I'm really excited. I was excited to talk to Steve um, and he exceeded expectations. So on that note, enjoy this conversation with Steve Sims. The street is where we create. We call it suburbanpreneurship. Mixing big company resources with an entrepreneurial spirit. This is Electric People. Hey, we should start by saying I really um, loved your book. It actually got recommended to me um, earlier in the year. And then when I saw your name on the list for potential guests, I was really excited. So thank you for writing it. Um, how long ago did you write Blue Fishing? I was going to say which one. Oh, Blue Fishing. Wow. Well, for start, I never thought anyone would ever read that book. Really? Um, and it, yeah, it went out uh, five years ago last October. Wow. Why do you think no one would read it? Uh, because I was, <laughs> you've asked for the story now. I was in a bar, which has been known to happen. And <laughs> I was having this conversation with this girl and I was just telling her stories. And she was like, how did you do that? And I was like, ah, fuck it. I just did this. Mm -hmm. She was like, but then that, and so I was just telling her and then she brought over this other lady and said, repeat the story. And she actually bought me old fashions for as long as I would tell this story. Um, she turned out to be one of the heads up in Simon and Schuster. Oh. And they went, Hey, this needs to be in a book. And I, I remember at the time in the bar, a couple of whiskeys in me going, pay me loads of money and I'll write the book. And they did. And <laughs> the life of Steve doing, Sims right there. Right. Yeah, and I said to Claire, my wife, who was with me at the time, I went, no one's going to buy this because everyone looks for the complicated result. They look for the... Co I could tell you now, hey, you can be rich or slimmer by doing this, or I could say, oi, if you spend 12 grand and buy this pill, you won't have to do anything. And everyone will start trying to work out the budgets for the 12 grand pill. Yeah. People don't do the simple, impactful stuff. So I... I literally thought I'm not going to buy it. I'm not going to sell them the rights of the book and get commission and retainer because no one's going to buy it. So I heavily front ended the book. Mm. I got paid a ridiculous amount of money to write it. And even when I wrote it, I just thought, 
oh, that's it. Maybe we'll sell two copies. But it ended up being a, I kind of screwed myself. Yeah, really I was going to ask, I was gonna ask if you still liked the deal you made. No, I didn't. I didn't. I remember speaking to Dave, uh, Dave Goggins and uh, he was like, uh, you kind of fucked yourself there. With, and Tucker Max was going through the financials and I was like, yeah, I did kind of kick myself in the ass. But, you know, been doing very well. Hey, I get to talk to you because of it. Hey, so, there we go. Um, you just never know. No, it was, uh, it was kind of, I, I was kind of amazed that it took off the way it did. Well, it's great. I, I think one of the things that's, uh, that made me laugh as I was listening to the book um, is the the difficulty you have with defining your job like what you actually do for a living uh, i've heard i've heard it said that you're a you're a life concierge to the ultra wealthy i've heard you say you're just a guy that makes stuff happen i've heard you say you know what i mean like that that part made me laugh how are you defining it nowadays when people ask you what do you do do you know it's funny i actually have um i have different ways of looking at it i usually like to look at it as who i'm talking to mm. So if I'm talking to someone that I can coach, then I'll talk to I'll talk to them as a coach and go, well, actually, I coach some of the, the most powerful people in the planet and those wanting to be, you know? And if I'm speaking, if I'm speaking, because I don't have a lot of tolerance, if I'm speaking in a networking event, and I hate those things, or I've been invited to some kind of party where, yeah, I'm really, I don't want to do business with the people, but I want to hang out with them. I'll literally tell them I'm things like I'm a gas station pump attendant or, you know, I'm a, a car cleaner. And I actually told someone that I was um, a blood analyst for car carpets. And they were like, what's that? I said, well, I go around to where there's been murders in cars and I check out the blood components here. Just make up fucking words. Yeah. And nine times out of ten, they just kind of like just walk away. So I'm not, I'm not very good with uh, socializing and – a lot of it is because I'm quite introverted. You definitely don't seem introverted. Can I take a stab at a title for you? Go, go for it. It's I simple. may use it forever, it's but simple. tell me. Experience expert. I think you're an experience mm. expert, right? Like everything is experience, right? Like this, this conversation yeah. is an experience. It's an experience for me, experience for you and everybody that's listening. Uh, but, you know, when I look at like, even, even, you know, in the book, you talked about people that, that call up wanting to have a certain experience. And you ask them a certain amount of questions to determine how you can actually serve them. And you find that, and I don't know how often this happens to you, but somebody would call looking for a Steve Sims experience and they would hang up understanding that they actually don't want what they think they wanted. They want a completely different experience and you help them find that thing. I'm thinking specifically about um, the guy that wanted to meet the band Journey, right? Yeah, I, none of them have ever hung up. And had that thought yeah. because I destroyed that thought during the conversation. See, a lot of people, and for any of the listeners out there, for 25 years, I ran an experiential concierge for the most powerful billionaires in the planet. I sold that company and now I, I coach and I train and I teach this mm -hmm. on stages all over the planet. But the key was, and the key is, never give anyone anything they ask for. That's a transaction. Businesses can't be founded on transactions when you think you're in a relationship business. If you think of a transaction business, you think of Amazon. Nobody has a relationship with Amazon. But if you're in any kind of business where you're speaking a person, you need to make sure that you don't fall into the Amazon tray and get them to put you out of business by questioning the client. Never give them what they ask for. Give them what they need and desire. And those are quite often differently. And here's the funny thing. 
in today's society, we're actually scared of talking to people. We actually have a phobia on it, and we're petrified to say what we really want. If I said to you now, hey, Ty, you know, if, if you could do, if I could arrange any experience for you, what would that be? Now, me and you are talking. We've conversed. We've got over the nerves. But if I met you in the street, you didn't know me, you'd be maybe a little bit reserved about going, well, I want to sing with Taylor Swift, or I want to, you know, uh, fly with the, the Blue Angels, or I want to play drums with Guns N' Roses, or I want to I want to paint with Picasso. You know, you may be scared to reveal what the, what you would really like to do. And so for me, people would come to me, and you say about the journey, that's case in point. The guy came to me and he said, I want to meet the rock band journey. And I was like, great, fantastic. You know, you want to just meet them? And he was like, yeah, I want to go backstage after concert, shake their hands, you know, get a photograph. I want to meet the band. Well, shaking hands and getting a photograph and meeting people, that two different things, okay? That was a, a, a quick, flippant acquaintance, and then they would forget your name by the time they're in the green room. So as he's talking, I said to him, well, okay, I understand what you want, but why? Why do you want it? Why now? You know, why, why is there any interest in it? And I quizzed him and I quizzed him and I quizzed him and I quizzed him. Finally, after getting a bunch of the, cause let, let's be honest, if I phone you up on a Monday morning and say, Ty, how you doing? Your natural knee-jerk reaction is going to be, hey, I'm great, Steve. Mm-hmm. We have all of these little one-liners, you know. Are you feeling good today? Yeah, I'm great. How was the barbecue last night? Oh, it's fantastic. How was your lunch? Oh, I loved it. We've got all of these little sayings which don't really answer that, just instant knee-jerk reactions. Yeah. So I tried to get past these guys' um, shields and knee-jerk reactions, and he literally told me the story about how he started life at college earning money by being a lead singer in a Journey cover band. And throughout his life, the marriages, the failures, the divorces, the, the, the bankruptcies, the height of his business, the lows of it, through all of it, he would play Journey music. And Journey became the theme tune to his movie. So I said to him, well, I can understand how they've ingrained themselves into becoming your theme tune. But if it was a movie, how climatic would it be to actually just have a handshake at the end as the finale. Yeah. You know, would that really be a yeah. movie that you would go, oh, wow, what an ending, what a crescendo. <laughs> and he was obviously, no, it wouldn't. And I went, right, now, now let me do my thing. And so when I let him off the phone, he's literally sitting there. I walked on there wanting to make a, a handshake. I've left a phone call knowing that that's not going to happen, but no idea what it is. We ended up putting him on stage in San Diego, and he became the shortest-term lead singer of the rock band Journey. He sang three or five tunes on stage and nailed it. Yeah. He really was good, and the audience absolutely loved him. He sold out to a Pax Arena. In, in He sang in a sold-out arena in San Diego as that lead singer. That's how you do that stuff. Experience expert right there, man. Experience That's how you expert. Do it. That's how you do it. Um, maybe talk about, I, I liked in the book how you actually had a method to it, you know, because I think a lot of experts, when you ask them, man, how do you do it? I'm sure you get that question asked all the time. How do you do what you do? How do you do it? And I've noticed a lot of uh, experts are kind of unconsciously competent, right? Where they're like, man, you just got to get after it. And if you're really trying to learn, 
that's not actually great advice. You know, I lead salespeople. So context on us, we're the largest um, solar company in the world. And we do, um, I lead the channel of door-to-door salespeople. So your experience and your way of life and your thinking and making it happen is like right up our alley. Our guys are really going to eat this up. Oh, yeah. But when, you know, I, I remember early on when I was trying to learn the trade, I would ask, like, how do you know when to transition? How do you know when to go for the close? And I would always be disappointed with certain experts say, well, you just feel it and then you go for it. And I'd be like, yeah, yeah. And then I'd be sitting in my car later. I'm like, what? Like, that didn't help me at all. Like, I just feel it and then go for it. But um, taking the journey example, you actually broke down how you made that deal happen. And it wasn't by offering the band a bunch of money because they don't care about that. And it wasn't by saying, hey, I've got the biggest fan in the world that wants to do this thing. It was instead finding, you know, you you have like a like a like a repeatable tactic to making things happen. Mm -hmm. Right. And in this one, it was finding common ground. Right. So maybe speak to that. You say on this one, it was finding common ground on absolutely everyone. It's finding common ground. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for anybody that is door to door in a relationship business, trying to sign a new contract, trying to sign, sign a big deal, trying to sign a small deal, just even trying to get to speak to someone who can open the doors and is the gatekeeper to someone bigger. It all has to do with one single thing. What value do you bring to that relationship and that meet? That interaction. How can I? You imagine, I remember years ago, I was barbecuing. Someone brought over a friend to my to my house. I didn't know who the guy was. I thought he was a bit of a dick. Now, again, I'm big and ugly and a bit of an introvert. And so I kind of want to be left alone. I love, I don't say scaring people, but, you know, for anyone that can't see me, I'm 245 pound of biker, no hair, earrings, eye piercings, tattoos. If this keeps you away from me, job done. You know, I'm, I'm actually quite happy about that. But I'm at my own barbecue. I'm barbecuing, so I don't have to talk to the party that my wife's invited. And there's this guy over in this corner, quite a big lad. I had no freaking idea who the hell he was. And he's got his beer and he walks over to me and I'm thinking, I remember this, because we're friends now, but he, he came over and, and I thought, I was like, shit, he's going to strike up a conversation with me and I don't even know who he is. You know, so he walks over and I'm cooking, and he turns around and he said, do you know, if you move it over to that heat over there, he said, you'll get a much more even char. And I, I remember just looking at the yeah. guy. He didn't introduce me, didn't want a conversation, just had more interest in the meat. And so I went, well, he said it with confidence. All right, fine, he's in my house. If he gets it wrong, I can always lump him with it. So I just <laughs> moved the steak up. And it came out brilliantly. And I remember doing some other band. I said, what about this? He was like, yeah, that's good. So those were the only, com- but he brought value to my meal. And then later on, I found out that he was actually a phenomenal chef in West Hollywood. Oh, and wow. he had just come up. Yeah, and we've stayed really good friends now. And now I don't cook for him. I never cook for that guy. Yeah. There's no way in the world That guy's cooking that. when he's around. Yeah, but the point is the value. Now with Journey, you're correct. Don't offer people with money money. You know, that's that's prostituting people, you know? So you've got to look at what benefit can I bring to you? Now, here's the thing. If I turn around to you, Ty, and I go, Ty, really enjoyed this podcast. You did so much for my business. I really appreciate it. Here's 10 grand. Now, let's be blunt, Ty. 
10 grand is 10 grand. I don't care how rich you are. 10 grand is a nice thank you. Okay. I give you 10 grand. I'm sure as shit you're going to turn around and go, thanks, Steve. Now, I phone you up eight months later. I go, hey, Ty, you know, I was just thinking about you, but I, I gave you 10 grand for the work you did for me and how you promoted me, and I really appreciate it. What, what did you spend the 10 grand on? Would you remember in eight months' time what you spent the 10 grand on? Is that a challenge to me? I think it's a challenge to anybody. Yeah. Because let's be blunt, you know, your mortgage, the kids' fees, you know, oh, my phone bill was due. Yeah, yeah. 400 bucks of it went on to my phone bill. Very you likely. Know, it, it's that, that kind of, it's life. Yeah. You know, I'd love to be able to say, hey, you give me 10 grand and I'm going to buy an old an old T100 Triumph. But the, the reality of it, it's probably going to go into the bank account. I'll probably still end up buying the bank, uh, the bike, but I don't know if it'd be from your money. Yeah. money. You just don't know. That's right. You know, it's like throwing sand on a, on a sand pin going, which one's yours? So, but let's just say for my sake, something changed. Let's say for argument's sake, I said to you, oh, by the way, you know, who's your favorite band? Oh, Steve, I love X. And I went, oh, that's great. I love them as well. And all of a sudden, I sent you two phenomenal tickets to this group, and I got you a backstage pass. How many years are you going to remember that? Yeah. Now, here's the funny thing. Nine times out of ten, you're going to be able to do that for less than ten grand in any case. Sure. But I've now given you a... a a feeling, a memory, a trigger. Every time that band plays on the radio, you're going to think of me. Every time you see them, you're going to think of me. Every time you and your wife are chatting about going out to a concert, it's going to be, well, we're never going to go to a concert the way Steve Sims goes to a concert. You know, there's going to be this this, this trigger, this, this memory that's never going to die. And you can even take that down further. I remember working with people in the real estate industry. And they were trying to get into bigger net, uh, bigger. Uh, and this is probably a really good tactic for your guys, actually. Mm -hmm. They wanted to get into a new zip code and they wanted to be the first person that they would be called when someone was thinking of that house, you know, being sold. So they, I told them, run up and down with a good gardener the properties that you want to sell. Okay. And then get the gardener to make a suggestion as to what he would do to improve that garden. Now, most people with good houses have good gardens. Most good gardens, you know, maybe there's a plant that's not fully flourishing. There's a plant that maybe is a little bit ill. Maybe it's irrigation. Maybe it's warm. Maybe there's a, a bug on it or something like that. But then get, and this is where it gets good, a little pack of seeds and just go, hey, your garden looks absolutely fantastic. But I was actually driving past the other day with a friend of mine that uh, specializes in gardens. And he thought how wonderful the such and such plant would look just under your right window. I'm a realtor. If you're ever looking at selling it, great, let me know. If not, just wanted to help you make your house just a little extra pretty. And a little pack of seeds that was like a dollar yeah. is included in that little note. I love it. And that's what a realtor friend of mine did when we were working on different ways of doing it. Doing incredibly, incredibly well. And he's actually been on stage promoting that concept to other realtors. So it's the simplest little thing. Now, I was working with Journey, and I found out that the drummer's son had autism. So I said, hey, I don't want to talk to you about money, but I would love to talk to you about autism, and I'd love to be able to raise attention and awareness for autism and raise capital for autism. Is that of interest? 
How the hell is that drummer going to turn around and be going, no, it's not interesting. Yeah. It's of no interest to me whatsoever. He bit my arm off. And then, of course, he got all the band to buy into the concept to look after him to look after me. So you can you can do it in any scale whatsoever. Look for the value you bring. That guy that came to my party brought value in how I was doing meat. My realtor friend dressed up people's gardens, and I personally tried to find the charity that looked after the billionaires that would Im- would improve his family's life. It really, it really is a mindset, right? Like I, I've, I've constantly, we have a lot of different people on the show from, from high performers in, you know, our sales organization to, you know, successful entrepreneurs and people like yourself. And we have energy and, and, and environmental experts as well. And the consistent thing that we found over and over again, which is obviously true for life is the difference between people that make stuff happen or that are wildly successful and those that don't is simply their programming. It's the way they think, right? Because the, what you didn't tell me about with the realtor is the wording that he used, right? You told me about the gesture or the way he, he broke preoccupation. So I'm thinking about the guy approaching you at the barbecue. And the reason that you had these initial thoughts of, oh, this is gonna be a painful experience. To some, to some degree, that's what you're saying, right? Like, yeah. I'm an introvert, I just don't wanna do it. I position myself here for a reason, this is gonna be painful. Because life experience yep. has shown you that usually when someone approaches you at a barbecue, it goes a certain way. So I always think about this for salespeople like, okay, what if you're in the worst sales experience, you're on a used car lot, right? And you just pull up for whatever reason. Maybe you're looking for a classic for yourself. Maybe you're buying the first car for your kid, whatever. And you see a guy inside a salesperson stand up and walk outside. And immediately you think, oh boy. Because life experience has shown you that this is going to be somewhat painful. But how different would it be if that person came out and handed you a bottle of water and said, hey, I'm actually really tied up right now. It's hot out here. Just thought you'd have this bottle of water. I'm going to be right over there. You just ping me if you need me. How? It's not hard. It wasn't like silver tongue sales ship. It's just a little different. And it might be a little enchanting. It might be a little, it, it's, it's, it, it provides energy to the experience, positive energy to the experience. And so when you think about like direct sales, our guys literally knock your door. Have any of my guys knocked your door before in Tarzana, California? I have not. No, I haven't. And I, I, I've got a massive great driveway as well. I'm quite obnoxious. <laughs> <laughs> you got to get through the gate and the dogs. I know how you roll, right? And then yeah. get back there and you're never home anyway. I got you. Um, but it's, it's, you know, people have very clear ideas of what the experience is going to be like when a door-to-door salesperson knocks your door. And so one of my favorite things is I always have friends say, I would never buy from a door-to-door salesperson. And I say, well, I don't need you to buy. And honestly, I could help you solve the problem. Like, it's not about buying. It's about that connection. It's about solving a problem you didn't know they always had, right? And, and being able to break that preoccupation. I, I can see why your work brings you so much fulfillment, right? Like breaking through with people, helping them have better experiences. You're essentially helping people, whether it's through development, coaching, experiences, you're helping them have an enhanced life experience, which is pretty awesome. I love to, I, I really do admire and love the statement you made, especially with the water bottle. And you're right, the people today, and it's getting worse, it's, it's actually getting worse. We have a preconceived notion of salespeople. We look at salespeople as quite simply uneducated. When you couldn't get a job, hey, anyone can get a commission only sales job. Right. And so in which case, salespeople are the silver-tongued people that are going to manipulate you out of a credit card. Mm -hmm. Don't trust them. Mm -hmm. 
But when you look at why someone's there, and the, the, the classic line, the client's always right. I argue with that with my team. The client doesn't know what they don't know. That's your job. Right. Your job is to solve and provide an opportunity to solve their problem. Now, you can't lead them down to the water. You can't make them drink, but you can arrange the path to get them there. And you're right. You need to just basically break those parameters. And there's nothing better. If I walk up to you as a, as a used car salesman, you've got these bells ringing. Great. How easy is it for right. the, you to be able to create that pattern interrupt of exactly as you've just said? And if someone comes to my door and it's happened, people have literally caught me at different times and gone, hey, we're looking at doing this at the moment. Oh, and I noticed you had this. I, had a, I turned up on a motorcycle once and I always ride bikes. Guy literally turned up to me and he said, you've got a heavy buildup of grime on there. He said, you're going to need to get a grinder on. It's an old vintage motorbike that I was riding. He said, you're going to need to get a grinder on there. I said, yeah, I am I am going to have to do that. He said, I've got a detailing company that rolls this area once a month. Would you like me to come through your garage and make sure all of your bikes are detailed so you haven't got to worry about it? Done. Done. Think, do you know, yeah. I had that guy and I stopped using him only because the bugger moved down to San Diego, you know? <laughs> but the bottom line, he had my, he yeah. solved a problem. Yeah, that's right. I don't want to be sold. Yeah. And since COVID, we don't trust people. We don't trust the government. We don't trust politics. We don't trust the newspaper. We, If I had given you, now you run a very successful company. If I had said to you six years ago, Hey, Ty, I can get you an article in Forbes, Entrepreneur, Mag, any of these kind of things, a massive article. You'd have bit my hand off. Yeah. You'd have gone, oh, major press in a major magazine. Yeah, hell, Steve. Nowadays, it's like, well, that's fake news. I don't trust the newspapers. Yeah. You probably bought your way into right. the media. You know, we don't trust it now. So we're naturally a very distrusting group. Our first reaction when we see someone that's trying to sell us someone is to hate them. So if you turn up offering to solve, not sell, hey, I'm here to solve your problem. If you don't have a problem, I'm not here. You know, it's that scenario. I really think you've got to change the way you interact today. Stop selling, start solving. I uh, absolutely, I love it. Like, again, I think you you speak the language of our, our people, right? Like, it's, um, I was, my first street bike was a victory. It was a victory eight ball. I got it in 2008 um, and I was out selling for the summer in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. We used to like deploy out, we would sell alarm systems and then come back and you have enough money to go to college, hopefully. And I had ordered this, this, my dad's ridden motorcycles my whole life. I've always loved them. It's part of the reason I was excited to talk to you. But the, uh, so I looked at my first bike, it was a Victory 8 ball, it was like 8,000 bucks. I ordered it, sent it to my parents' house in Idaho. I lived in Utah. On my way back from Minnesota, I stopped in Idaho and rode that bike home. I didn't have a license or anything like that. I was just so stoked to get out on it. Immediately, my dad and I, uh, he had a soft tail heritage at the time. We did a, we did a trip down uh, the California coast. So rode from Utah across I-80 down the California coast. And something had happened with my dad's bike. We had to pull into a Harley shop. And, you know, I was, I've, I've been a long time like bike admirer, but I, this is the first one I had owned. I'm a victory rider showing up to a Harley Davidson, um, shop. Right. And so not the biggest deal in the world, but I it admittedly was a little bit uncomfortable, right? Like it's, I'm, it's like showing up on a metric almost. I mean, it's American V twin, but it's not a Harley. Right. And so 
I pulled up and the guy came out to talk to my dad. And the first thing he did is he handed me a water bottle and on the water bottle was written with a Sharpie marker, which I know you're a fan of Sharpies. He wrote on there, victory rider only. And just didn't say anything. He just handed me the bottle of water and then went and talked to my dad. And to this day, I can't tell if he was making fun of me or not, but it was like, it felt like a peace offering a little bit, you know, and and what did it cost him? Nothing. But I'll tell you, I've owned eight Harley Davidsons since then. And I don't know if it was because that guy gave me that water bottle, but he was different. Like we're talking about him now. That was 15 years ago. And we're talking about him and he gave me a 49 cent bottle of water. You know what I mean? They, they look. The whole point of any good marketing and branding is to get the recipient to talk about what you did, and you're now talking about it all these years ago, and it cost him forty cents. Yeah. So it, it's just ridiculous. That's. But here's the other thing that's key that everyone here needs to know: it's the small shit that creates the biggest impact. A friend of mine, Joel Weldon, says no one's ever been bitten by an elephant. Well, we've all been bitten by a bee, you know, or stung by a bee, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's the small stuff that's going to bite you and sting you, and you're going to remember, not the big stuff. So focus on what is the smallest thing you can do to create the largest impact. If that guy had come out and gone, hey, Here's a here's a Harley Davidson T-shirt. Here's a here's a brochure. Here's this, yeah. here's, and throwing you a swag bag yeah. of like I don't know four hundred bucks worth of stuff. You would have been mesmerized for ten minutes, but we wouldn't be talking about it now. Or I would have felt like he was trying to sell me a Harley. Right. That's what I mean. You, yeah. you you would have tripped all over the place. He just came. One of the things I used to do is when I used to go and have meetings, I still do this actually. Um, when I go and have a meeting with someone and I want to do their marketing, their brand, and I want to coach them, I want to speak at their event, whatever it is, all you've got to do is you've got to pull out your phone, Google their name, and then look up the images related to their name. Now, if they're hanging around with sports cars in all their photographs and all their social feeds, they like sports cars. Mm-hmm. If they're hanging around with horses, they love equestrian. If they're traveling, they love to travel. And then just grab something. And here's the key, $20 tops. Grab something that is is going to be used by them that, that you think is good. I've gone to people before. And I've gone, hey, by the way, you know, I was doing a bit of research. I saw you into Ferraris. I saw you into classic cars. I see you in a Porsche. Do you know, I was walking past this uh, magazine store the other day. I looked at this, it looked really good. So I just thought I'd grab you a copy. And I bought him a magazine. More than that, I bought my year's subscription to that magazine. I went, appreciate the fact that we're having this meeting. So every quarter you're going to get, you know, 9-11 uh, quarterly. Now, he may well have already had that magazine, and it may have been a duplicate, but here's the thing. Magazines are really, really, really cheap at the moment because most of them are going bankrupt. So you could buy a year's subscription for like 30 bucks. I went along to see a client. I think it was three weeks ago. I went on Amazon and I bought a travel adapter because I saw he traveled a lot. And I said to him, I went, again, very happy with this meeting. We're about to By the way, I was doing my research before I came along to this meeting. I saw you travel a ton. Well, you know I travel a ton. This is my favorite travel adapter. So, hey, I've got a spare. Here you go. Just stick it in your bag so you don't forget it. Mm-hmm. And about, I don't know, two weeks later, so he was traveling. He was like, dude, and he sent me a picture with him holding this little travel adapter in a mouthy. Yeah. You know, 
How cool is that, so cool. Ken? Of course, every time he pulls that out. Now, I don't emboss it. I don't put my brand on it. I don't do any of that. Um, but every time he uses that, he's going to think of Steve Sims. It's so amazing. I had, a, I had an experience the other day where I actually don't even remember saying it to highlight someone that like employed this exact principle. His name's Ryan Jessen. So he runs a performance group for us. But I was talking to a group and I, and I said, you know, my son, he's 13, uh, he's starting this trash valet service in our neighborhood. So he's going to go to people's houses and for, you know, the, the, the trash company will do it for 20 bucks a month. So for 15 bucks a month, he'll take your trash cans out to the curb and make sure that you never miss trash day. And so I was talking to this group and I was like, oh, a little like hustler, entrepreneur, door to door salesperson. I, I'm just so proud of him. And so I didn't even remember having that conversation with him. But uh, there was a day where me and my son were passing through the market and we stopped in in this market. So I had me, I had my son Rocco with me and I saw Ryan Jessen. And Ryan's like, oh my gosh, I have something for you. And he went into the other room and he came back and he had a little square reader, you know, like you can plug into your cell phone and swipe the card. And he said, I got this for you, Rocco, to start your business. And he had a little card attached with it. And I was so touched as a father, you know, the best thing, like someone doing something nice to your kids. But I don't know, I don't know what a square costs, but like I was so touched by the gesture that I, I will remember that forever. You know what I mean? And it's, it's that exact principle where if you're in the people business, it doesn't take more money. It doesn't necessarily even take an overwhelming amount of creativity. It takes a little bit of presence, right? It takes a little bit of like preparation. It And then a travel adapter to you seems like common sense. I'll bet to Ryan, oh, I should get him this. It felt like common sense to me. I'm like, how in the world did you think to do that? You know what I mean? It just takes thought. And we're actually, we, we don't, Give you a funny little thing. I love reading business books, okay? But I also love reading um, stories, biographies, things like, you know, far-fetched science fiction and things like that. I want to get my mind creating. I love sleuth novels. I love watching you know, movies where someone's been killed and you've got to work out who it is, these classic Agatha Christie. Today we're looking at tactics, One of the biggest tools we need is creativity. We need to think. We need to dream. We need to desire. Whenever you speak to any of the top people in the world, Larry Page, Elon Musk, any of these people, they dream the desire and then build a solution to it. And so when we're thinking like that, our mind gets naturally creative. Here's here's the thing. How many times have you walked into like a um, a car dealership or a car lot or something like that? You're walking around all these cars and you see this car and it's like, you know, pea green or something or like vibrant orange. And you're like, damn, I, I, I've never seen a car color like that before. Why the planet? Or it's like some kind of these people that buy, you know, poo brown cars, you know, and what, what the hell would someone <laughs> buy that color for? Now, when you're driving home, what's the only car color you can see on the road? Of course. Yeah. It's that. Now that's the same with entrepreneurs. When you start thinking creatively, that's all your brain can see. When you start looking at opportunities, that's all your brain can recognize. Your brain receives what you instruct it to see. When you start training your brain to think more along the, and you pulled it out, the people business. And I often say to people, and I, I spoke in Venice 
a couple of months ago. And I, I walked around the crowd and I was like, hey, what business are you in? You know, and they were like, oh, I'm in accounting. What business are you in? Oh, manufacturing. What business are you in? Oh, I do this. And I went back up on stage and I went, you're all wrong. And until you get it right, you're fucked. I said, you're in the relationship business. You are either in the relationship or the transaction. If you can build something with the necessity to speak to nobody, including the end product, i.e. making a can of beans, then you're in the transaction. But until then, know what business you're in. And if you're in the relationship business, the whole point of relationships is connections. And the only way to connect is to get them to go, aha, is that aha moment. For you, had it with a card reader. For my clients, I had it with a magazine and a travel plug. If you focus on curiosity and creativity, then it will just come to you. It literally will come to you. But you first of all got to train your mind that, hey, we're going to think differently. We're going to do different. We're going to be different. There's a beautiful woman, Sally Hogshead, and she writes books on branding. She's a branding genius, better than I am, but most people are. And she always says that different is better than better. And that's one of her, her little key phrases I absolutely adore. Different is better than better. So don't try beating your competitors. Be different. I'm writing that down. Different is better than that's so good. Like, I think, again, there's there's the, people probably come to you all the time and say, oh, you're so creative. How do you have all these ideas? Like, I don't have ideas like that. Do you get that? Do people say that stuff to you all the time? I, I do. I, I do. Which is a shame. But yes, I do. So how do you how do you foster it? Like, is there anything And it to you? It might seem second nature. But one thing you mentioned is, OK, well, first we train our brains to be different. Right. But what are things that, you know, one of the things that you mentioned is exposure, like exposure to ideas. You read business books. I've found that one of the best things for creativity is exposure. I always say exposure is expansion. So if I can be like, I, I'll read your book or I'll listen to podcasts that you've done. And all of a sudden I have two or three ideas. I don't think I made them. I just kind of put myself in a, in a lane to receive them. But for people that might be listening to be like, man, see, I just don't have any ideas like that. What are things that they can do? So one of them is expose yourself to new ideas and business books. But what are things that, that you do to come up with these ideas? Or when do they come up? Do you write them down in your phone? Do you have a note section for them? Is it at night? Is it how, how does that process work for you? So I do write them. I, I'm never far away from my phone. And I do have a little thing on there on notes. So just like you wrote down the different is better than better. I will often write those things down. Um, but I never have my phone near my bed because I don't want access to it. But I do have a little pad and pen. Mm. So I have strategically around the house, little pads and pens that I can just quickly grab and write things down. I've got my phone here and I've got a pad and pen here because someone wrote uh, my name on the uh, the pad. So I've always got those around with me. But having those tools is not going to give you the ability to use them. So the things that I do to get my mind going, hey, we think differently is to do differently. Here's one of the things, and this has been going on for, God, maybe 20 years of our life. So whenever you go out to a restaurant and you get the appetizers before you get the main course, okay, you go and you look at the appetizers and you go, well, I know what those three appetizers are because I've had them before. I like them. I'm going to pick one of them. I started a game, and I don't even know why I bloody started it, but – with my kids, and I've got three kids, 26, 24, and 18, 
when we would get the appetizers, I would start picking an appetizer that we've never had. And my kids would be like, oh, why don't you get potato skins? Or why don't you get the zucchini fries? Or I like these. I'd be like, no, no, no. The appetizer is the cheapest part of the menu for me to make a mistake with. So I'm going to pick something I've never had before. And I'm going to be able to try it and know once I've tried it, if it was really, really nice or if it was the most disgusting thing ever to enter my mouth. And so the kids would literally bitch and moan about that. (laughs) And every time the appetizers would come along, they'd be like, oh, what's dad picking? And I would pick two weird appetizers. I've traveled around the planet. I've been Tel Aviv, Switzerland, Germany. Nowhere is weirder for grabbing weird appetizers than Japan. (laughs) You get some stuff there. That's the spot. Oh, my God. You know, what the hell is this? Well, this is such and such as testicles, or this is the (laughs) eyelids of something. I'm like, but we did that. But here's the funny thing. It trains you to think differently. Now, We've all got radio stations on our computer. My my one, I think, is called My Tuner. But I listen to different radio stations. What I will do is I will roulette my radio stations. So I will literally pick on the country and just, just scroll and bing. And I'll end up with Czechoslovakia. And then I will flick through the stations and I will pick a station and I will play it for 30 minutes to an hour. Wow. And so I'm now listening to Czechoslovakian, you know, like dance music at two (laughs) o'clock in the morning, or I'm listening to opera from Russia, or I'm listening to golden oldies from Scotland, you know? And sometimes it's really good. Sometimes, you know, I listened to a football match a while ago and I don't even like football, listen to a football match, but I kept it on. Um, Because I'm exposing my mind and training it. Hey, we do things differently. Mm. Now, fast forward, my kids are very entrepreneurial. No surprise, I am, they are. Same with your kids. Now, we walk into a restaurant. They argue over who picks the appetizer. You picked last time, my turn. No, no, I remember. So they have this argument. You've got to start telling your mind, hey, we do things differently. It's like your body. We're going to start lifting weights. We're going to start eating vegan food. We're going to start uh, cutting out coffee or alcohol. You train your body so that it changes. Your mind's a muscle. You've got to educate it that we've got some heavy lifting to do. And that lifting is called creativity. And if all you ever read is technical, tactical books, you lo- you, you get the facts You get the organization, but you lose the creativity. If all you ever read is Agatha Christie models, uh, um, um, novels, then your creativity and your sleuth comes out, but there's no tactics there. So you've got to mix and match it to be able to make the ingredients that you need to be able to make. I love that. I I really believe that. Right. And it's, it's, it's weird where, um, personal example, a lot of my best, Sales strategy ideas have come from music, which is a lot of people are like, like, and I like punk rock and like underground hip hop and stuff. And so it's like, it seems that those two worlds don't exist, but I was at a show once and I, and I had this idea where I was like, I was like, you know, 
an album is really like an art piece. It's a, it's a book, right? It's full of all these different ideas and they, 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 they have these principles and obviously the principles are strong enough that they're willing to sing and scream and shout about them. And they're willing to travel around in a van from city to city to city to share their ideas. Right. And then I looked at their merch and I'm like, it looks like they did like the shirt quality sucks. They don't fit very well. It looks like they designed them because they had to have something. And I was like, what if there was somebody that could help? Like if you look at a clothing brand, they have like a fall catalog and, 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 and their ideas are there and they're curated. Well, I was like, why doesn't someone design these? Because very few people actually comfortably openly wear the shirt of the band they like. They'll wear it at home, like when they're grilling and stuff like that. And you might because you're really self-assured. But how many people if I have like if I secretly love Kelly Clarkson, am I wearing a Kelly Clarkson shirt? No way. Right. But it's like I had this idea. And so then it was like, okay, we did this campaign in sales and we branded it. We made like a little clothing line associated with it. And it was really fun. But I remember I had the idea sitting at a concert, but it was simply because I exposed myself to a weird idea and I was reading something at the same time and my brain just kind of did its thing. You know what I mean? Proximity, proximity to creativity. You know, listening to this podcast, I guarantee for anyone that's here listening to this podcast by now, they're coming up with ideas. I, I agree. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, one of the things that I find interesting um, is your your story. Um, you you had this part in, in Blue Fishing where you're talking about, you know, starting out being a bricklayer and then how you moved to clubs and promoting and how like your, your career just kind of started itself a little bit. You were obviously conscious enough to take the ride, but there was a part in there that I, I wanted to touch on for a second of your mindset. Now, keep in mind, you were you were laying bricks in in, in a hard nosed work environment, you, you know, you talk about how your whole family was there and you could kind of see your future. Um, and you were out there working in the weather. Well, not dissimilar. It's not manual labor, but we have salespeople all over the country. There's thousands of them and they work in the winter. They sell solar in the winter on the East coast when it's snowing and they're on rooftops in Fresno in the middle of the summer when it's insanely hot. But I remember you thinking like, um, how you were talking about your new career, how you felt like you had nothing to lose going into it because anything was better than, Brickwork. Uh, I, I loved how you found something that was really scary to a lot of people, like for a lot of people to say, hey, quit your job, go your own way and see if you could make it. That's the terrifying thing. But for you, the terrifying thing was staying where you were. Maybe talk to that mindset a little bit, because I have a lot of people that that succeed in sales and they say this is the best job in the world. I literally I don't have to wear a tie. I get to go out. I talk to people. I offer them a, a cost-free solution. It's the best. And then I have some people that say, this is the worst job I have ever done. I'm constantly terrified. Give me your thoughts on that as it regards to, or as it relates to your background. Do you know, it's funny how fear drives us. And that's the thing you've got to recognize. People go, oh, you live without fear. Don't live without fear. I think fear is a great motivator. I think it's a great aggravator and agitator. I love fear. And I do a lot of things that scare me. And if it doesn't scare me, I'm probably not going to do it. But as I was growing up and I was a bricklayer and feeling kind of like, hang on a minute, where's my life going? And I was questioning a lot. I was very curious and I was questioning my future, my opportunities. My granddad, who was in his 80s on the same building site, I said to him, did you ever think you'd be doing this when you were this age? And he literally turned around to me and he never even looked in my face when he, when he said this. He said, son, if you don't leave today, you'll be me tomorrow. And I wow. suddenly realized that, you know, time 
wasn't something I could get more of. I couldn't order a batch of it on Amazon. We didn't even have Amazon then, but, you know, I knew I needed to be able to do something. So the fear at that time wasn't me taking a risk. It was me staying where I was. They, they, they say the definition of stupidity is to do the same thing over and over again and expect a different answer or a different result. That's the definition of insanity. Why would I stay here? You know, I'm not scared of going forward. I'm petrified of staying in this position because I can see what it will be and I don't want to be part of that. So, yes, I went out and I made mistakes and I, I, I learned that there was a ton of jobs I was ill-qualified to do and I knew that I came across bad and I learned how to have good conversations with people by, first of all, having terrible conversations with people. I learned how to really care about people by first of all, not caring about people. And I learned all of these things. And the good thing was, I realized very early on, I'm either winning or something, or I'm learning. You know, and we're all out there going, oh, I don't want to fail. Well, if you've learned something, you didn't fail. If you went bankrupt, you learned you don't know how to handle money. You didn't know how to see that contract coming. You didn't know how to can I protect yourself financially. You didn't know how to freeze your assets. You know, you learn these things. And the sad thing about us, and especially people like me, you learn the hard way. I learned that I was shit with money because every time I got it, I got a new motorbike. Or I would suddenly travel around the planet. Or I'd buy, and then I'd get a tax bill and go, oh, shit, and have to quickly sell the motorbikes to pay the tax bill. I realized I was crap with money. I realized that enough to know that I think 18 years ago, I took myself off my own bank accounts. And a lot of people go, that's ridiculous. My wife handles all of it. I honestly can tell you, and I, I can promise you every single motorcycle I own, I don't know how much money I've got in my bank account. Because when I do, if it's a lot, I get lazy. If it's a little, mm. I get involved in the wrong deals to get the money back up again. By not knowing, I can control the people I work with because I want to work with them. The people I coach, the places I speak, the people I train, the things I get involved in, the projects. I can now base it on what I want to be part of it rather than the financial outcome of it. I love that. Yeah, and I think I think if, if you were leading with the outcome, which is, oh, I, I don't want to do this, but the pay is really good then the product's not yeah. as good. Then you're pop, right? Then you're pop. And it's like, yeah. oh, well, if you're, if you're for everybody, then you're not, you don't have any, like, you're not, you're not yeah, actually contributing. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? You're not actually contributing. Um, question for it's you. It's the usual thing. If you're ever, if you're ever looking, if you're ever looking at the price tag, you're looking in the wrong direction. Because if, if you're ever in a conversation where it's just about the money, then the value is not there. Let's talk about that. You know, yeah, I believe that. that. I was, I was with a team the other day. I was out in Corona, California. Shout out Corona. And we were talking- Great place, Corona. Great place, right? The, uh, yep. So the way that our solar industry is moving is it's moving towards the way of storage. So it's one thing to have solar. It's quite another to be able to store that power on the side of your house in a battery. It, you know, it gives you some independence from the grid. It gives you some, some protection. There's, there's a lot of benefits to it. However, uh, the world now is just coming onto it. The product is relatively new. And so I've been traveling around and trying to help people understand the value and, you know, drive the sales of the battery product. And one of the, per, uh, one of the people in the meeting, I was just asking, I was like, why, why haven't we been selling this product? Like, let's just unload it for a second, kind of empty out all your, all your reasons and all your thoughts. And one of them had said, well, it's 50 bucks a month and the power doesn't go out very often. So is it worth the money? And I was like, right there. Okay. So 
you're not selling the 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 feature that okay the the if the power goes out you will have you'll you'll still have power and i told this story so i don't know if you know this story steven i don't know if it affected you because you're right in this area uh, are you ladwp are you connected to ladwp yeah for your power? Okay. so it might have affected you but two years ago in ladwp um, what started happening is when the climate in california is ripe for fires often the utility company will shut the power off because as we've yep. had so many so many fires in the state of California, they That's often fun. get blamed with them and it costs them a billion dollars. So they're they're tasked with, do we provide the service to our clients of electricity at the risk of starting a fire or do we shut off their power and not have a fire? So the, the conditions two years ago during Thanksgiving were ripe for a fire and uh, the utility company shut the power off. So you had people that had traveled to the greater Los Angeles area for Thanksgiving and they didn't have electricity. And so I, we were talking as a group where we're like, you're not necessarily selling somebody the fact that if the power goes off, your system will still work. You're, 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 you're providing them safety that they'll be able to live the way that they want to live. That in the event that some external factor happens, that won't affect you. Who cares how much it costs? It's a better way to live, right? And it's that kind of idea the to me. The price of independence. That's right. And how do you put a price on that? It's like, it's like your life insurance story you talk about in blue fishing. It's like, well, I could spend 500 bucks a year. And you're like, well, you also could have a family that the last thing that they're worried about on the worst day of their lives is the dollars. There's no, there's just no price for that, right? It's how do you want to live? And I think, I think your message and I think your training is really synonymous with that. And I, I appreciate it because when people can tap into that, that's what you're doing. You're not selling batteries. You're fixing problems. You're providing a better way of life. A lot of people don't know they have that problem until it's Thanksgiving. They're trying to cook a turkey and the power goes out. No one knows they have problems until it hits them. And again, that's down to the salesmanship again. You're not there to sell someone. You're there to solve a problem, even if that problem hasn't actually happened yet. Right. See, what do you, you, you mentioned in your book that, um, I, I, this is what I took from it. So forgive me if I'm projecting a little bit, but you said, you know, part of the reason that it works being able to, to have these experiences and coach people and have these interactions and, you know, be backstage with all these famous people is because you don't, you, you don't get caught up in it. Like you don't necessarily need all that in your life. You mentioned you're happy with your, your family and your dogs and your bikes and, and life is good. What is it that you want? When you, when you think of your life, what, what is it that you value above everything else? Wow. I value relationships and I value true, authentic, transparent relationships. Mm. Uh, and I think I've got to a point, you know, I'm in my fifties now. So the material aspects are kind of like, you know, diminishing that I really care about. Um, but I really, I really, I, I love to be able to sit down with someone and have a conversation. Now that's, that's weird because as an introvert, I right. hate to strike up the conversation and I never go to parties. I never go to networking events. But if there's an event that I'm like speaking at and I, I'm being paid to go and hang out and get the selfies at the, the VIP after party and I'm like, all right, well, at least that's paying for me, you know, remodeling in my bathroom or something, I'll go and do it. So I always move with purpose. But if I get the chance to be having a drink with someone and all of a sudden I'm having a conversation with them and I'm like, I'm liking where this is going then that, that fulfills me. So I like to have conversations. I like to be challenged. 
So I'm constantly trying to push things and see what I can get involved in. I released another book, uh, Go For Stupid, you, know, you probably know about. Mm-hmm. Um, that was challenging me to see if I could not only do a second book, but also release it properly and make up for some of the mistakes that I made by not doing anything with bluefish in. Um, so I'm constantly looking at challenge. And again, it comes down to that fear. A friend of mine once said to me that the definition of hell is to meet the man or woman that you could have been. Yeah. So for me, I don't want to be in the same place today as I am in six months' time. Now, I haven't got to worry about finances. I haven't got to worry about whiskey in the in the cupboard. I haven't got to worry about gas in the tanks. I haven't got to worry about any of that. But that doesn't mean I shouldn't try things. Push the boundaries. Press a button. Try something new. Challenge myself so me i want to make sure that when i die they always say your life flashes in front of your eyes i want it to be so jam-packed there is a break in the middle for intermission and popcorn before it carries on with the rest of my life <laughs> oh that's, that's beautiful my goal. Uh, that's beautiful i i i really you can see it so clearly which it comes off in the passion and the zest for the way that you live like and i i think that if if you if you know exactly what you want and you know what you value then you can intentionally create a life that is in line with it. And if, if you're not clear on that, you know what I mean? It's almost like it's probably worth it to pause for a second and align before you, yeah. before you keep moving. Um, I want to throw an invitation out to you as an introvert. You do not have to accept it, but as an experienced guy okay. might be fun. Here it is. Uh, I have a group that most of them work here. We ride motorcycles together. Okay. One night we were out riding motorcycles and it took us down to Venice beach we were walking down the boardwalk in Venice Beach and there was an argument between Dylan Patterson, buddy of mine, and the rest of the group on whether or not he could take Steven Seagal in a fight. Steven Seagal now, not Steven Seagal in the 80s, which you could not take him in a right, fight back okay, then. Yeah. Dylan, Dylan's six foot five, you know, he's 250 pounds. He's, he's maybe not that big, but he's an athletic dude. And he argued that he could take him. The debate is still going. It's been six or seven years. And so the motorcycle group is actually called the Flock of Seagulls. And we would love if you took a ride with us up and down your canyon at some point in life. Again, you could take it or you could leave it, but we'll be ripping by your house. You're welcome to join the pack. Do you know, I've, uh, I love the name. I think the name is absolutely <laughs> hysterical. And, uh, you know, you're my kind of people for a start. So um, reach out to me and let's do that ride. I love it. We were at uh, we were at this cafe in Santa Barbara. And we have these like stickers and this swag. It's a total group that takes that doesn't take anything seriously. And this woman came up to us and she's like, I love the flock of seagulls. I love you guys. And I'm looking at her. I'm like, I'm 15 years younger than you. How is it possible that you think I was in this? Like the math doesn't add up, but it was an experience of, a, you know, a bunch of motorcycles outside having brunch in Santa Barbara. And a, it was it was a good time. So, uh, Steve, um, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for sharing with us. I love your energy. I, I think you've contributed so much in a really like in a very simple, real, authentic, matter of fact way that resonates with a lot of people. I know it's made a difference in my career and I've had a lot of ideas as I've as I've uh, consumed your content. So sincerely, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. And they can find you on your website, socials. How do how do how do our guests find you? I'm dead easy to find. I'm Steve D. Sims literally everywhere. You want to look at the website, it's stevedsims.com, 1M in Sims, and don't forget the D. If you want to look me up on Instagram, Twitter, anywhere that you like your your social feeds, I'm Steve D. Sims. I'm the exact same URL everywhere. Love it. 
Perfect. Thank you, Steve. And thank you all for joining us. This has been another episode of Electric People. If you're listening to this and interested in joining our teams, DM us on Instagram at Run the League. What are you waiting for? Run the League, shoot us a DM, and let's get going. Ciao. <laughs>